All right, guys, welcome back to Property Profits Podcast. I'm your host, Bryce Kaminsky, filling in for Dave Dubow. And today on the show, if you've ever thought, you know, I've got a lot of real estate, it's it's pretty linear, maybe I should start diversifying. It's probably something you should have started thinking about before that point. And today on the show, I've got Brian Henning. He's going to be talking to us a bit about that diversification that we should start planning for before we actually need it. Brian, how are you doing today? Great. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It's my pleasure. So the the big question that every conversation in real estate happens, for, especially for people who are thinking about getting in or people who are, you know, already a little bit maybe knees deep in the water, how how did you get addicted to real estate? Because I think we all are a little bit addicted. So what got you hooked? Yeah, for sure. Happy to happy to share that. So for me, it actually started out in stocks, actually, and just investing in general. I had an economics teacher in high school that had us track stocks in the newspaper. And mm-hmm. that was uh, kind of dating myself a little bit there. But that was kind of how how he how I was kind of trying to teach us about investing in, in the economy and so forth. And so that kind of put a little spark in me. And so then once I graduated high school, I started going to the library, checking out books. This was before the uh, internet was so big mm-hmm. um, and just kind of trying to learn as much as I could about investing in stocks. And then um, probably about a year and a half later uh, is when I started working for a large financial services company here in San Antonio, uh, became a stockbroker. So I had my 765 licenses. Um, so I did that for about a decade and uh, got to learn a lot, got to learn a ton. It was super exciting. But during that time, I started investing in real estate on the side. Um, my my very first investment was uh, a HUD foreclosure that I moved straight out of my parents' house into and uh, actually kind of house hacked from day one. I rented one of the bedrooms to one of my coworkers at work um, and it was a little fixer upper, just needed minor stuff, you know, carpet paint type stuff. And uh, that was kind of what got me got me into the real estate bug. And then I started doing some flips and single family rentals, uh, got into small multifamily, dabbled in Airbnb a little bit. Uh, and then the last few years got into some larger commercial type projects. Okay. And so, um, when you got started, uh, big, big angle on the podcast here, people always want to know, how did you pay for it, Brian? How did you put the deal together? Where did you get that funding for those first couple of projects? Yeah. So for the first, the first project, you know, I, well, for the first house, I got, obviously I got a a traditional loan. Um, I had a decent job. So for the second project, uh, which was my first flip, I actually got a regular 30 year mortgage on it. I, I had no idea what, what I was really doing. So I just, I just got a 30 year mortgage and, and, uh, you know, uh, that, that was kind of my plan. And then I ended up just, you know, I, I, it was one of those things where I was, I was standing on the front, the front porch of the house and I, my real estate agent at the time, who was also a real estate investor, you know, he knew I'd read a lot of books, done a lot of self-education on stuff. And I was standing there just kind of hemming and hawing about whether I was going to do it. And he was, he was like, look, man, you're at a paralysis by analysis standpoint here. You got to do something. And so I just kind of pulled the trigger and, and bought it. I think I made like 800 bucks on the property, but I didn't have a contractor lined up. I actually got a contractor from the neighbor that lived next door. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I just kind of just kind of went for it. Um, and so I learned a ton, you know, it was, it was that classic story of, you know, you shouldn't fix up a house like you're going to live there. And I did that. So I over-improved it, you know, it was really picky with the stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, it turned out beautiful and turned out great and I made a few bucks on it, but I figured, you know, making a few dollars on education is, you know, not a, not a bad deal. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
yeah, the over renovating and like learning the things. Did you ever move from self-education into something more formal with like, uh, there's tons of programs out there, tons of coaches and mentors that can kind of collapse that time frame. Did you ever take any of that? Or are you like a, a self-made guy in that sense? I, I did do some of that when I started getting into the commercial projects a few years ago. That was yeah. that was kind of a big leap from doing single family into 100 plus unit apartment buildings and syndications and stuff like that. That was a little bit yeah, of a learning curve. Learn. Yeah. And so I did join a local mastermind group here in San Antonio to help kind of expedite that process. Uh, you know, it, it was a game changer for me from the standpoint of, you know, learning a lot, but, but bigger than that, getting in a room with people that were actually doing deals and yeah, and, that energy, right? Right. That energy and making it real, right. And, and attainable. Um, is so there's been club, some bumps and bruises, uh, but yeah. Is that club still kicking around? It is. Yeah, it is. You want to yeah. name drop it just for people thinking about the, <laughs> to run in there. Yeah, sure. It's it's called Apartment Educators here in San Antonio, Texas. Um, one thing I will say, this is just my personal opinion. I, I mm -hmm. do think that people should stick to if they want to they want to find a mastermind group. I think they should try to find one local to their area because I think yeah. being able to meet with people in person is like huge. And um, offline that, too, right after the meeting and go to go to the go uh, have coffee and donuts or, and grab yeah. you know the crazy coffee with all the sugar on top <laughs> right yeah so i definitely agree you know the local network has got the insights on what's happening locally so you know i, I always believe that with mentorship and stuff like if you're going to be doing something you should be finding someone who's doing it and even better if they're in your backyard not always it's not always a case that you can find that but it's definitely a bonus if you can so um you know, you did some flips and you've kind of grown progressively, which I like because some people try to skip steps and they get burned or they flatten out and they just blow up. Mm -hmm. So um, now you're into uh, multifamily. You mentioned syndication. So you're parts of funding larger projects with other people and partners. Tell people mm -hmm. a little bit about how you got your first taste of that sort of bigger multifamily. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, really just kind of jumping in once I had gotten that education and started learning from people that were doing deals and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I would help uh, other roles, but I would also help bring capital to the deals and things like that. And so that that was a big learning curve. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of uh, SEC regulations around syndications mm -hmm. and stuff like mm -hmm. that, that people people really have to understand before you jump into that business. And that was one of the good things about joining the group. And, um, you know, I would say before you even start becoming a part of a syndication or doing anything like that, you should find an attorney, whether it's one associated with the group that you're working with or another one, but a, but a, a securities attorney that can help outline a lot of things for you. Um, I would say too, going with somebody that's a little bit conservative is not a bad thing. Yeah. Um, because you know, the, the, the concern is, is that you're doing things wrong. And, you know, ha having been a former licensed stockbroker and financial advisor and, and, you know, been, been on the SEC's, uh, so to speak, radar, just cause I was licensed, you know, I can appreciate some of that. And so, uh, I, I think that's super important to, to just make sure you're doing everything above board. So, yeah, I find as a real estate investor myself, I'm very excited, very, uh, let's go, let's go, let's go. And, if you're that type of person, and I think you're you're alluding to that, is like find a lawyer that is always asking the question, like, what if it doesn't go right, Bryce? What if it doesn't go that way? <laughs> and then you sit there and you say, yeah, like, especially when I'm doing creative financing, he's like, what, well, what about this, that, and the other? And you're like, 
Good, good uh, blind spot. Thank you very much. I'm going to go yeah. address that and we'll come back to the table and, and do that. So definitely finding that someone to, uh, to question you in a sense, to make sure that you have, you've kind of thought it all out, especially with syndications and multifamily because securities from pro, uh, province to province in Canada change. And I'm sure state to state securities has, uh, you know, different, you know, nuances. So mm-hmm. now that you've kind of got your feet wet in that, where is that taking you? Yeah. So, you know, I've been a part of multiple uh, partner on multiple different uh, multifamily deals. Uh, you know, this, this was, so in some ways I, I, I joined, at, I started doing this at the worst time. And in some ways I started doing it at the best time, you know, a few years ago was when I started getting into syndications and multifamily. So obviously, uh, you know, there was, there was a lot more capital, the interest rates were so low, people were a lot mm-hmm. happier. So people were a lot more open to investing at that time. Um, so that was a good thing. Rates were low. That was great at that time. The the negative part now is, of course, you know, a lot of those multifamily deals are bought on bridge debt. And so those rates, you know, as rates go up, those, mm-hmm. you know, the cash flows, you know, get reduced and dwindle. And so that becomes a challenge. And there's properties that I'm a part of right now that, have, you know, we're going through our bumps and bruises and, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you can't, you can't, you wish you could, you wish you did some things differently, but you can't, you can't go back. So all you, all you have to do is learn from that. Try mm-hmm. to make sure that the things you do going forward, um, you, you learn from some of those mistakes you've made in the past and, and learn and adjust. And so that's, that's why I've kind of changed my strategy up a little bit and, and how I'm doing the, the syndications and uh, with the fund that I started and so forth. So just trying to kind of, you know, incrementally learn, um, it's always better to learn from other people's mistakes, but sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. you have to learn from your own. So, yeah, well, someone, someone in the history of things has to be the first to learn it. Now, the other thing I like is this, the saying goes, everyone's a genius in an up market. So everyone's yeah. running yeah. around, you know, I just got 300 doors and it's like, okay, you, you've got 300 doors, hold on to them now, hold yeah. on to them. Yeah. Can you hold, can and, you hold on yeah, to can them? You, yeah. Can you hold on to them through, through the yeah. thing? So being creative, being flexible, I know with the multifamily, there's a lot of moving components. How do you manage the, the day-to-day of all the different moving parts of these syndications and these multi-unit deals? Yeah. So for, you know, for these, these multifamily deals, you know, you've got a general partnership team of maybe a handful of people and, and everybody kind of has different roles. And, and usually, usually the lead sponsors, meaning the ones that find the deal and, and do the, un, mm-hmm. the original underwriting and due diligence on it, you know, they'll, they'll be the asset manager as well. And so they'll be the primary point of contact to the property management and stuff like that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, um, that, so property, property management, companies are, are a huge piece of the, the puzzle is making sure you, you've got a good one. I mean, we've had to, on a few of the deals I've been involved in, we've had to change property management companies. It's one of those learning lessons too, right? When everything's going great, right? Uh, when all the know, rent's coming in, there's all no the rents, call, but yeah, and the rents, rents are increasing 10, 15% a year, you know, things look great. Expenses aren't as, as, as glaring, but then when things start, you know, going down the other way, it's like, okay, well now, you know, you start looking closer at things. And so, you know, it, that, that's been a challenge. Um, you know, I, sometimes I say, and this is a little, obviously an exaggeration, but it's just to drive home a point. I really do think that uh, my, my 12 year old daughter 
probably could have made money in real estate syndications over, you know, the last 10 years or so, because yeah. it was just, you know, with rents going up so much with money pretty much being free and, and for so long, uh, you know, not, not to, I'm exaggerating obviously, but you know, it, it wasn't as hard now, right now is the time where, okay, this is the people that can survive and can continue to do it through these tough times. Those are the ones that will have those, those battle scars and, and, you know, mm-hmm. have, as long as they've learned from those lessons, uh, I think we'll be really much better on the other side of this. So, yeah, you, you know, you look at historically the late '80s into the '90s, and you're seeing the similar thing: interest rates creeping up, people like putting keys in mailboxes and walking away. And you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to be too doom and gloom, but the the reality is that most uh, most of the wealth and most of these large pickups are happening on the backs of um, the overzealous investors. They're like, I, the biggest property management company, the biggest owner of property, like apartments, multi-unit in Winnipeg at the point where they took over, uh, the portfolio, the bank had asked them first to manage it. And there was no buyers and the bank's like, we don't want to keep carrying this. Do you just want to have it? Like, do you want to just have these things? And yeah, we'll give you a good term and a good mortgage. And like, you're already managing it. So it was really the people that survived were able to benefit the most. So stay conservative out there. And I think you'd agree, stay conservative, stay persistent, but also, you know, whenever there's a fire sale, things are on sale. So, you know, I think, I think those are definitely coming. How are you guys managing uh, the finances as far as the capital and things like that? Because they are tighter. So are you going to private funds? You know, where's the capital coming from these days, if not the bank? Well, you know, so I haven't I haven't been part of a of an acquisition on a property for probably I don't know I guess it's probably been a year now. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we we haven't really acquired anything. Me me directly in, in my fund, I've I've acquired some things, but um, you know, it's yeah. I mean, it's still a, a huge challenge, and you know, some of the some of the existing properties that we have now, we're having some capital challenges too, just because they're not cash flowing as good, mm-hmm. you know, or break even type type situations. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a reality of where we are in the market right now. And, and I think a lot of people, you know, me included, you know, didn't think that rates were going to go up as far as they did as fast as they did. Right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that, that took a lot of people by surprise. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I know so many operators and ones that are super experienced that have been doing it for a long time that got caught up in some of this stuff as well, because, you know, when, when bridge debt is the way to go for so many years and then everything shifts, what feels like overnight, you know, it's, it's a challenge. Um, But, you know, one of the things about the bridge debt, yes, it fluctuates, but you know, you buy these rate caps, right. Which are basically insurance policies to protect you on the upside. The banks require it. But the reason a lot of a lot of syndicators buy those is because there's less fees to sell when you go to sell it later on. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the flip side to that is, is where we are now. And, and that wasn't a rates weren't an issue for so long. So it, it made the most sense. But, but yeah, some some are definitely a, a challenge now. But there's still deals happening. You know, there's there's yeah. plenty of deals happening that, you know, with the with the operators that have the capital and, and have the experience and have gone full cycle on multiple deals, the banks are still willing to lend to. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, I think you alluded to it, or, to it earlier. Said it, you know, there, there's going to be some fire sales. There's going to be, you know, there's been a couple of deals that, that uh, I've been a part of that we picked up in the fund that that were just that they're from distressed sellers that were in you know some similar situations where they really need to get out. So yeah, we we also have that 
you know, we're seeing a lot in the multifamily space, especially in Canada, we don't have a lot of multifamily, you know, we, we've got a 40 million population spread around uh, like 200 kilometers from the border. For those of you in America, that's like, I don't know, 75 miles or something. Okay. So we're very close to the border in the majority and they did this just didn't have a need to build these, you know, the density of multifamily. So the people who bought them were coming out of the 90s. So if you think about it, I'm 39, let's say I'm like motivated and I go and I buy something in the 90s. How old am I in 2023? Okay, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. I'm 40, I'm 65. And I'm like, I've had enough. I've kept it well, but I've yeah. been managing it and cutting the grass. And um, it's time to go to Cuba for the rest of my life. So we're seeing <laughs> that I'm seeing, what are you seeing as far as like where these where these deals are coming from? Yeah, I mean it's it's a lot of other syndicators. Um, so I'm really mainly focused in Texas. That's where mm -hmm. I'm based out of. That's where I'm born and raised. Um, so that's really where I primarily focus my my investing uh, in. It's just what I what I know the best, right? Um, I passively invest in some other other areas as well. But um, yeah, it's a lot of syndicators that are just in, in a position where they need to sell. I mean, they're you know a lot of these bridge debt loans are you know three year you know, they have a three-year term and then you have like a one plus one, right? Where you have addition, you know, opportunities to kind of re-up the loan. But if you're not meeting certain criteria, the bank may not let you and, or, mm -hmm. or they're getting to a point where rates have gone up so much, they're kind of at a, a break-even point cash flow wise, but the bank's requiring, you know, maybe they, maybe they have a three-year loan, but they got a rate cap for one year or something. And so now they have to start escrowing 30 grand a month for another rate cap, you know, mm -hmm. things like that. And so, uh, and that maybe there's not enough capital across the general partnership team or, you know, no investors or they're, tired put of in, yeah. or they're tired of, yeah. So it's just, there's a lot of what, what's happening right now is a lot of people are getting weeded out basically. And so yeah. that happens every, that that's what happened in 2008 too. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I was investing at that time in single family that that's actually when I picked up most of my single family rentals was right after that, uh, you know, some great yeah, there opportunities. Few, there was a few houses. Uh, yeah. There was a few on the market. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so where do you I, uh, see things going over the next like three? Let's let's talk about like towards 2030. Where do you see where do you see things going? Wow. Where's the opportunity for a 20 year old version of us looking at it going? Should I? Yeah, I, I think residential is still great. You know, I, I can I can speak, especially for Texas, you know, um, whether it's single family, small multifamily, large multifamily, anything residential there's still a housing shortage. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we have so many people moving to Texas from other states like California. And so yeah, I wonder why, why? Yeah. 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 California. To exactly. Texas. Yeah. <laughs> there's, yeah. Without getting political, there's several reasons. Even landlords like, you know, oh, we're, yeah. we're not in Ontario right now where I saw this post is wild. The landlords, the association is blocking like people from being evicted. They're still like the board is really against them. So landlords are going out and spray painting, pay your rent on their own buildings. So let the neighbors know that these people aren't paying and they already know, but it's the landlords are starting to take it into their own hands because of the, the regulations of the board that allows them to, you know, change the tendencies. So I definitely know why people want to go to Texas because Texas is the land of the free, friendly. truly. truly yeah, yeah, it's right. a landlord-friendly state for sure. California is yeah. not, and you know, and I know I haven't been haven't been investing in in real estate for over twenty years. I mean, it's it is interesting how landlords get a bad rap. I know there's some bad ones out there, but you know, the reality of it is, there's also a lot that it's their livelihood, just like anybody else. It's their job, and so by by 
constraining and holding and, and cuffing their hands, you know, you're, you're yes, maybe you're temporarily, business, right? It's yeah. Regular. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had real funny, just real quick. I'll tell you, I, I had, I had a couple of mobile homes that I owned and, and uh, I had one of the, one of the tenants, this was during COVID and when, when president uh, Trump was in office and one of the, one of the tenants called me up and was like, Hey, uh, you know, I called her and I was like, do you have an update on the rent? And she's like, Oh, well, I, the president said I didn't need to pay my rent. I'm like, uh, no, that's not exactly what, how you kind of misinterpreted that. <laughs> so yeah, I just, you can't be evicted, but you still owe that rent. And anyway, mm -hmm. um, so it was, it's just funny. <laughs> well, everyone's like, uh, Oh, landlords are making it so good. They're making off with all my money. I go to work. Remember, guys, when it's empty, who's paying that mortgage? The right. landlord, right? So, yeah. you know, there's risk and reward. And so, you know, don't hate on the landlord who's willing to put his own money into that thing when it's empty. So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of risk that comes with being a landlord damages, uh, tenancies, uh, regulations changing. So yeah. it's not it's not easy, but definitely there's a reward in it for someone who can stay the course. So as we move towards 2030, you know, where do you see things going? Yeah, I, I do think right now is, like I said, I think it's still a great time for residential real estate, um, you know, housing shortage and really the housing shortage is kind of across the country, um, mm -hmm. you know, back in 2008, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, 2008, a lot of lot of builders stopped building and um, there was a lot of properties, but, you know, the reality of it is we've never recovered for that. And then you have COVID where that slowed down. And now with the rates so high, things are slowing down and nobody's selling because they have a 3% mortgage, you know, and I know it's yeah, different in Canada, to, right? I know it's different in Canada, but like we get that three, three and a half percent mortgage for 30 years. Like, why would you move anywhere else at that point? You're, yeah, you're not going to get as like much home. Yeah, we've got like two and 3% for 30 years, but People are um, renewing now. The renewals are coming up, right? And they're six, seven percent, as well as like there. This is an interesting thing. So in Ontario, and especially in these big cities, like much like uh, let's say upstate New York, where things are like really expensive and the bricks and sticks don't match the valuation, right? Uh, they're doubling out their amortization, so they're like, you can keep your payment, but now you're talking about like an extension of your thirty-year term. So now we're talking about like a sixty year oh, wow. amortization wow. <laughs> so you're gonna be you're not even gonna be around for that so yeah. they're doing they're doing all sorts of um, wild things to keep people in their houses as these interest rates adjusted and i don't think all the spending was something that people could get around um the money's got to go out it's got to come back that's that's currency right so yeah um, you know time flies when we're having fun here where can people get a hold of you what's the best way to reach you right up the middle to see if they can do business with you or if they just want to reach out uh it's about 10 different ways no i'm just kidding so best <laughs> way the, the best the best way is linkedin i would say that's the only social media that i'm on so they can they can just look me up under brian head um under linkedin that's probably the best way to get a hold of me <laughs> yeah linkedin's a great platform especially for the uh, professionals so find brian yeah. on linkedin and until next time guys we'll see you on the next episode